Hello, it is 16th of December and this is episode 11 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. And today we're here to do a very special episode. There's not going to be any news or analysis because this whole episode is going to be a review of Rogue One. Because what else is there to talk about right now but Rogue One? <laughs> um so yeah, we just basically wanted to come out ASAP with a quick episode of like all our thoughts about the movie. Um, I'm going to warn you that we will be going deep into spoilers with this discussion. So essentially, please don't listen to this if you plan on seeing the movie and you don't want to be spoiled. Um, because yeah, we are going to talk about absolutely everything. So consider this your final warning. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So with that said, Kirsty, what were your like general thoughts about the movie? Like, how would you sum up seeing it? I really, really liked it. Mm. I know I messaged you right after I'd seen it, and I said I loved it. Yes, and I, that was exactly how I was feeling at that time because I was all swept up in the excitement of it. Yeah. Sure. And then after sleeping on it, I've started to think about things. That I'm like, hmm. You know, that wasn't perfect and everything. I wasn't expecting a perfect film, so that's okay. Mm. Um, But I still think it was a really great film and I'm definitely going to go and watch it again. Yeah. How about you? Um, For me, it was a bit of a weird feeling. (laughs) It's turning into something of a pattern for me with watching new Star Wars movies. Um, But I came out of the cinema and (sighs) I liked it, but I didn't love it. I think that's how I summed it up. Um, Because I I really enjoyed myself. But the whole time, like, I was picking up on lots of problems, like, with pacing and with characterization, like, yeah. just these issues, and I was conscious of them as I was watching the movie. Right. So I found that it wasn't, like, it didn't transport me to the extent where I could, like, overlook what I considered to be those issues with it. But that that sounds too negative, because there's lots of stuff I really, really enjoyed. Like, it, it looked beautiful. Like, it was just gorgeous. And like there's so there were lots of really great standout scenes that I'm sure we're going to talk more about um but yeah like you I need to see it again and that's great because I'm going to see it again tomorrow <laughs> yeah I'm sure there's so much that I missed yes um, yeah there must be all sorts of easter eggs and things I haven't looked at an awful lot of what other people have been saying online because I kind of just want to keep it to my own experiences right now but yeah sure yeah I like you it's it's kind of mixed because I I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. It's mm. got to be the most beautiful Star Wars film. Yes. Um, I went to so many different planets. There were so many beautiful yes. landscapes. And yeah, Gareth Edwards just did a great job of that. But um, the characterization, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of mixed about that because on the one hand, it's like, okay, there are so many characters. It's probably hard to really delve into their backstories as much as you'd like and like learn about their motivations and their characteristics and everything yeah but at the same time they all die yeah so you wonder if it's like intentional to some extent because if everyone got super attached to these characters and then you see them all die like that yeah I don't uh, I don't know I I think think it's supposed to be like this generalized idea of look at the incredible sacrifice that's being made it's not supposed to be such a personal level it's supposed to be more about a statement of the effects of war in a more general sense yeah no, I, I definitely think that's true. Um, I, I kind of had the impression that these characters they're almost more like archetypes than right. individuals, because you obviously have like the warrior monk, you have like the young girl who's like the Joan of Arc inspirational leader, you have like the like side crossing pilot who's like defected from the Empire. Those are all like stock characters that if you look back into movies from the 1940s, war movies, 
you would find parallels for those characters to some degree. Maybe not Jin so much because women in 1940s war movies are pretty much always like nurses and (laughs) typically female roles. Um, But yeah, they they do fit into these like types quite a lot. And like I say, there's less emphasis on making you like really care about these people than I found there was in The Force Awakens. Yeah, Uh, it was more about the story as opposed to The Force Awakens was very character driven, I thought. Yeah. No, so. that that was what I found. Like, I, I obviously didn't expect Rogue One, Rogue One to be the same kind of film as Force Awakens. Um, but I think just because I'm so attached to Force Awakens at this point, I really went into Rogue One wanting to love these characters. Like, I loved Rey and Kylo and Finn. Yeah. You know, and, and I didn't really take that feeling away from it. So that was sad for me because then it meant at the end when they did all die, I cared less. If that makes sense. But but like you say, I. I expect to an extent that was calculated because if you care about them too much, then your heart is just going to be breaking. Well, exactly. Imagine how devastated you'd, you'd feel to watch Ray or Finn die. Like that's not <laughs> going to happen. And we know that. Yeah. So we know that those characters are safe. Like they'll go through trials, but they're not going to die. <laughs> like That's that's not yeah. going to happen. But I, I appreciate that Disney were okay with Lucasfilm going there. Yeah. Because with the reshoots, there were all sorts of rumors about them making it lighter and changing the ending and stuff. And I, I'm not sure what's actually panned out there in terms of why changes were made because looking back at the trailers an awful lot did not make it into this film (laughs) yes i think we're gonna have to have quite a detailed discussion about that later because it's actually quite amusing (laughs) yeah but i'm I'm glad that it it obviously wasn't that they were told not to kill off the main characters or anything yeah so that's good yeah no that's one of the things i liked the most about it i thought was really really ballsy of them to literally kill everyone because everyone who doesn't move forward into like the original trilogy they all die i think pretty much without exception like except excusing maybe like a few alien dudes and stuff that you barely know their names yeah Um, and that's really unusual so if you think about like marvel films like when they kill people it's always with like with air quotes Mm -hmm. it's not lasting death there's no real consequences in rogue one you really do feel the consequences yeah I, I really it's, liked that. It felt like the stakes were genuinely high. Yeah, I think we'll see more of these characters in terms of backstory. Like they'll give us comics and books and that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. we'll never see them in a movie again. Like I just, that's. I think that's what Lucasfilm meant by calling it a standalone. Yeah. Overall, the film felt more like a prequel to me. It did not feel like something that was supposed to be separate from the saga films. Yeah, I definitely don't think Rogue One could be anyone's introduction to the world of Star Wars. No. I think it'd be a very bad film to pick for that purpose. Um, yeah, because they don't give you any kind of... They just throw you right in. There's not even a crawl, which I really liked. Yes. For for your first Star Wars film, I would go with something like The Force Awakens. Yeah. I, so I actually thought the absence of a crawl was a mistake. Oh, really? Like, yeah. like Because if you think about Catalyst... like I haven't read Catalyst yet. I really want to, and I want to read it more after having seen Rogue One. But I think the story that Catalyst tells... It would have been so helpful to like casual viewers just to have like a summary of those events, like that backstory between Galen and Krennic, to then establish their confrontation. I suppose film. because yeah, we know that they have that history. But if you were looking at it just from someone who didn't even know their names going yeah. in, and probably most people didn't, mm. they'd be like, okay, so who are these people? Why would they care about each other? And Krennic's been manipulating him for decades, but you don't. I mean, you you get that little flashback of them on Coruscant, but mm. that's about it. Yeah, no, that was really weird to me, that moment. I was like, what, what's going on? I'm so confused. Like, what, 
time jumping. Like, I think I, it was because I'd been expecting the flash forward. I had, like, been mildly spoiled. So I knew that it started when Jim was a child. Yeah. But I didn't expect it to go even further back to when she was even an even smaller child. It's like, oh. like oh, and also, <laughs> it was awful. But every time Galen called Jin Stardust, which happens a lot, <laughs> I was just sniggering. I actually Stardust liked it more in the film than I thought I would. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to like it, but I didn't think it went too bad. <laughs> like it, it, it wasn't bad. It was purely what I brought to it because on now this is podcasting. They just keep on treating Stardust like it's a running joke. I thought the the hologram from Galen was actually really powerful, and yes. Jin's rea- reaction to that as well. I think that did a very good job of very quickly establishing how she felt about her father. Yeah, no, and I like really, the sacrifice that he'd made. I really liked the hologram. I actually found that scene much more effective than the scene where Galen dies. Yeah, like that, I hate that whole scene. I don't mean to sound like too critical of Felicity Jones's acting, but her crying face—it was just really distracting to me. Oh like, really? <laughs> it was awful, but it, it just almost felt like too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the crime was like too intense. But yeah, I feel like a, a real meanie for saying that. No, I mean, there's been kind of mixed reactions. I've read some reviews that have been quite brutal, but I thought she was good. Mm. Um, I've also read some weird reviews that have kind of implied that there wasn't a main male character to spar <laughs> off of. I yeah. thought Cassian was a great character. Yeah, no, I gave a great performance. Yeah, no, I saw that review and it was really bizarre. It, I think it said like Jin needs a vigorous male lead to counterbalance her, and it's like he's right there. He's called Cassian. They, yeah, they kind of like fall in love almost towards the end. <laughs> I don't know what that person was looking for because he fit the bill for me. Mm. I really liked that he had more of that anti-hero thing going on. Yeah, and was willing to do awful things for something that he believed in yeah no that character when i watch it again tomorrow that i'm really going to like pay close attention to him so i i i realized there was like lots of depth to his story but i wasn't quite tracking it because there was just so much going on you know it's just this bombardment of images and it feels like in the first act you're like hopping from planet to planet every 30 seconds yeah like and, and like that's amazing i love the scope of it like it's incredible, like the breadth of this film, like and the ambition it has in visiting all these different locations. But in a way, I do almost wish it'd sacrifice some of that in order to be like just more contained and more tight. Like because that whole like interlude on Aedu, like when Jin goes and like watches her father like facing off of Krennic, that whole scene felt very very strange to me. I thought that went on for a bit too long. Yeah, like. There was just something off about it. I I sense that's probably one of the scenes that was perhaps changed most heavily in the reshoots. Mm. Um, but that is just a, a theory. Obviously, we don't know what was changed precisely, apart from knowing what isn't in the film because we have lots and lots of trailers filled with things that aren't in the film. So yeah, <laughs> we have a great chronicle of that. Yeah, I think um, my favorite part of the film might have been Vader, mm, even though he was in it so little, and I. Yeah. I can't tell if that's a good or a bad thing because as the first standalone, even though he was not in it very long, I felt like they were kind of relying still on him to be such the classic villain Mm -hmm. because Krennic does not fill that role. I really like Krennic as a character, but he's not, he's like a failed villain. (laughs) You know? Yeah. His like whole like arc is like a story of someone who's just failing constantly. Like he doesn't achieve anything, I don't think. 
Yeah. Other than like being a bit of a dick to people. So somehow you you start to feel a bit sad for him. Yeah, it's like he's not he's not likable, but yeah, um, it's like it yeah. really wasn't his day. I I don't think in Rogue One. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like for me, all the standout scenes were Vader stuff. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, my heart was pounding. I was so freaking excited. I I had you've never seen someone beam as vibrantly as I did when we saw that freaking castle with the lava moat. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like I think I posted on Tumblr as soon as I got home. It's like castle with the freaking lava. It's amazing. Yeah. Um like that We was... knew we knew before that that was a thing that they'd been toying around with like for years in terms of where Vader would live and mm. Yeah, it's like from an old Ralph Macquarie concept piece. Yeah, and they, there was concept art in The Force Awakens as well, that they were going to kind of revisit that. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting that he'd be living on Mustafar. It is. It says so much. Like, like, didn't you, I think you mentioned to me, so like Palpatine like ordered him to live there? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Which, so you know, weird. they, yeah, that relationship is all kinds of fucked up, obviously. <laughs> but it's... It, it's, it makes sense, right? Because then he'd be stewing in his anger over what happened there. Yes. I guess it's, it's like, like he's the just... permanent reminder of all the failure. Like to do with yeah. Padme and Obi-Wan. And yes, it's just going to fuel his resentment and hatred. Yeah, it's like he's living in his own hell. Yeah. Which is very oh. appropriate. It looked very, very hellish indeed. Um, oh, and I love that little servant dude. Uh, and it was just so delightful to me that, like, for months and months, ever since that first trailer came out, people have been speculating furiously about who the hooded man approaching, like, the white pillar in the first Rogue One trailer was. And, like, people coming up with all these, like, wild theories, like, about, oh, it's the Emperor and stuff. <laughs> it's like, no. I don't know how anyone could think it was the Emperor. He was bowing. Who does the Emperor bow for? <laughs> That's a very good point. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I just love it. And then they like cut to him and he's just like a generic old dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you've got a visitor. <laughs> he's literally Vader's butler. Yeah, he is. <laughs> like, that's not something I thought I would come away from after seeing Rogue One. It's like, oh, Vader has a butler. <laughs> yeah, I was worried that we wouldn't get the back to tank scene, though, because mm. we had heard that so much was cut. So that was really exciting to see. I'm glad they kept one of the best things. Also, I loved when um, Vader force choked Krennic and says that joke about choking on your aspirations. <laughs> oh my god, the Skywalker yes. sass. Yeah, that's really good. Like, I think um, Kylo got his um, Sark through genetics. Yeah, I think, definitely on both comes sides. from. Yeah, like double dose. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like I think as a general point, like those highlights for me, they were all the Vader scenes. Yeah, and I do think that's a bad thing. Because I think back to The Force Awakens, and what I love about Force Awakens is not Han, it's not Leia, it's not Luke. I, I, I really like them, those are great characters, but they aren't why Force Awakens works. Rey, Finn and Kylo are why The Force Awakens works. Mm-hmm. You know, So it wasn't about looking backwards and focusing on the nostalgic elements for me. It was about looking forwards and seeing all the new things they were bringing to it and really enjoying and appreciating those. And yeah like I, I didn't feel Rogue One did the same thing like it made me really happy but it was because it was like wish fulfillment you know it's like Vader's a oh yeah Vader well, they... being a badass you know yeah Vader at the end was just like the most blatant form of fan service I've ever seen I loved it <laughs> it worked yes 
I don't, I don't know if people have read Lords of the Sith, but it seemed to be lifted right from the, the beginning of that book mm. where he's just like, just so brutal. Yeah. But yeah, like that's what people wanted to see. So, and it works because it like goes right into him then just missing the plans and Leia's got them and it really connects him with his daughter, which I don't think the original trilogy really succeeds at. Yes. Like that's the first time when you really think, oh, it's kind of like Leia was just as much a part of his downfall or redemption, if you look at it that way, as Luke was. Yeah. Because that sets that in motion. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a really good point. Um, and yeah, I really liked how they made that dovetail into A New Hope so seamlessly. Yeah. Um, and in in particular, I really liked how it does make you like reassess that initial confrontation between Vader and Leia. Like when mm-hmm. Vader's like attempting sorry, when Leia's attempting to like play all innocent, <laughs> like Vader's like, I ain't having any of your bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that makes so much more sense now. Because yeah. of course she's lying. Yeah, of course she is. <laughs> like, as well, that's always been blatant. Now, thanks to Rogue One, is super, super blatant. It's like, Leia, why are you even trying to lie? That's just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> We're on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Um, what did you think about the CGI for Tarkin? Oh, I did not like it. Like, I, kn- I know other people do, and I, I guess, like, technically, it was supposed, it was impressive in that sense, but I. It took me right out of the film. Mm. Like, I was looking at them and it, Leia was not so bad, even though I wish they just hadn't had her turn around or even say anything. Yeah. Um, Because it was just like one second. But Tarkin, like every time I came back on screen, I was like, oh, they're, they're using him again? Yeah. Like, I was really surprised by how much screen time he got. And mm. you can tell it's not him. Yeah. Like, it's... it looked so fake to me. Um, yeah. I, I feel bad because I'm sure they've absolutely slaved over this. You know, like, I think this is, like, the crown jewel. Oh, that's the thing. I bet that that is as impressive as it gets right now. Yeah. No, like, it's clearly an amazing technical achievement. It's just you can't trick the eye yet with CGI, not when it comes to real people, especially not when they're interacting alongside actual living, breathing humans. Like, so seeing, like, Paul Ben Mendelsohn play against this, like, person who had CGI Peter Cushing grafted onto his face... It was just total uncanny valley for me. Right. Um, it just seems a bit tasteless and I don't know how it's going to age the film because the thing about Star Wars is it's kind of timeless, right? Yeah. But because that technology is probably set to improve drastically, Yeah. Um, looking back at this film in 10 years, is it going to be like, oh. <laughs> I bet there'll you be a special edition of Rogue One. <laughs> oh my God. I just, I kind of just wish they hadn't done it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't I, it's feel like novelty. it added much, to be honest. Like, it didn't yeah. necessary to me. It's like, you, you can talk about Tarkin. You can maybe, like, have a glimpse of him in the background as, like, Krennic's, like, looking at him, like, resentfully. But I really didn't feel you needed those scenes. It was just unnecessary to me. Yeah, like, I liked the idea of having Krennic um, butt heads with someone who was just coming in and kind of taking it away from him. Mm. And I guess because of A New Hope, it makes sense for that to be Tarkin. Yeah. But it, but there are so many... Like, they could have just had a new character who was very Tarkin-esque. Yeah. Either that or they could have just recast him. Right. It's like, they've recast Han. If you can yeah. recast Han Solo, I'm sorry, but you can recast Grand Moff Tarkin. You really, really can. Like, and I say that as someone who loves Peter Cushing. As someone who loves Peter Cushing, he's one of my favourite actors and he's, like, iconic. I would just really have preferred it if they'd recast him straight out. So I do think it's kind of disrespectful, to be honest. Yeah, I do. Like him like that. 
I think no matter how impressive it gets, I still think that it's tasteless to do it. Yeah. Because that's, it changes what acting and performing is. Like, if you're just going to have someone's face and it's not their work, yeah. that's just kind of bizarre. It is. Yeah. I, I, di- I think I'm probably kinder than you towards, <laughs> sorry, that sounds mean. I think I probably feel more warmly about the layer one because I think that was so brief. I think they could just about get away with that. And I think also the brevity it did like help make it more convincing to me. The friend I actually saw the film with, like she was shocked when I told her that was CGI. She said, Oh I thought it was a clip from one of the old films. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Bless her. Yeah. So I do think the as a general rule, people seem to have found that moment more convincing than Tarkin. Yeah, well but that's I, why I said to you a couple of weeks ago, Oh, I really don't think Tarkin is gonna be a big part. I think it's just gonna be in the background somewhere or maybe say one line. Yeah. Because that worked with Leia. I didn't love it still. I I still don't I'd rather they just didn't have her speak at all. Yeah. Um, but I thought if that's what they're doing, that's the way they're going to go. But he just kept coming back for more and more scenes. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of like, oh, guys, I'm sorry, but it's not working. Yeah, I I just don't know if that's going to hold up for repeat viewings. Mm. And I do wonder how much those scenes, like I do wonder if the CGI work on Tarkin, it might have suffered from the reshoots. Because imagine if they had to redo any of those scenes of Tarkin, like it's short notice then they yeah. would have presumably had to redo the like CGR on the face. And I'm sure under the best circumstances, that would be incredibly time-consuming to do a good job of that. And if they had to do that work like last minute and they were pushed because scenes were being reshot and they had to reshuffle things, then that might explain why the effect like isn't as good as they might have hoped for. Maybe. Or maybe they, th- maybe they didn't reshoot those ones precisely for that reason. Mm. We can't know. Yeah. But- I really, anyway, really want a book about the making of this movie. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see because, yeah, we can look at the trailers and see objectively what wasn't in the film, but we don't really know why, like what the goal was. or Exactly, yeah. It seems to me that where most things changed was with Scarif. Like, so if yeah. you look at the trailers, like you get things like Krennic walking through the beach with like his cloak dragging in the ground and you get um, Jin and Cassian and they're running with Jin holding the plans mm-hmm. and both those scenarios they just do not fit with Rogue One as it stands yeah Jin and Cassian on the ground that makes me think originally that they were going to survive mm. like they were going to get out physically yes which would be really interesting because that would almost suggest that like everyone thought the reshoots were going to make the movie more happier and like more optimistic but maybe they did the opposite. They wanted to like close it down by killing everyone. So, and that's what the reshoots did. Yeah, I, I would like that to be true, to be honest. Because <laughs> I speaks to them taking more risks than people maybe first predicted. Yeah. Because I've seen reviews that say that this film plays t- too safe. And I guess it does in a way that it's, like I said, it's, it feels more like a prequel than a true standalone. Yeah. But it's very different in tone to the other Star Wars films. Yes. Like, I really like that they do. I know everyone's been laughing because it's like, oh, it's the first Star Wars film about war. But it isn't. It's much more about people on the ground than mm. people with the Force. Even we have Chirrut and Vader. But it just feels more like this is the reality. Like, people really did make sacrifices. And it, and then, you know, Luke just kind of swoops in and takes all the glory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like the golden boy. <laughs> yeah, but you see everything that led up to that that made that possible for him. Yes. So I, re- I really liked it. Yeah, no, I really liked it. Um, and I, I think I'm probably going to like it a lot more the second time I see it. Because for me, Star Wars, it has always been more about the fantasy than the science fiction. Yeah. And because of that, I have always like preferred the mystical side of things and the Jedi side of things. 
to just like regular people doing their thing. So I think in a way that made it hard for me to like glom onto the Rogue One, like as I was able to with Force Awakens. Um, but I, I do think that will change more because the more I reflect on it, the more like interesting I just find it's a concept. And I do think it was a risky film in many ways. And I do think they did things that lots of other big studio temple films just wouldn't take a chance on. Like we said, like killing everyone. And, yeah. and also like getting um, Forrest Whitaker to deliver that oh. insane performance. What the hell was he doing? <laughs> yeah. That was so weird. I don't know what to make of all that because I I really thought they were going to go more into um him looking after Jin as a kid, mm. but it was it was just like you only got that through their conversation when she f- was first reunited with him. Yeah, I I felt it would have been really useful to actually see that. Yeah, you just get that little bit in the prologue when he looks down the hole at her, but yeah, like they keep like... on talking about like her rough and ready upbringing and how she was abandoned and stuff like that and. It's fine to be told that, but it would have been so much more effective if we'd actually seen that and like had that information conveyed to us visually in some way. I yeah. think it would have just really helped to see like a day in Jin's life, you know, before she's in prison. So like find mm-hmm. out why she is in that jail at the start of Rogue One, for example. I think that would make all the difference. Yeah. Because if you think about Rey, when we meet her, we we don't meet her when she's being like accosted by Uncarplet's thugs. We meet her when she's just having a normal, depressing day in her ordinary, boring life. Mm-hmm. like Just like we do with Luke, for example. And that's just really effective because we then understand the type of person this character is and the type of life she leads. And yeah. I didn't get that sense of Jin. Like, I have no idea what a normal day in the life of Jin Erso would have looked like. Yeah, for, for me, I think that was partly because it's it's not supposed to be in terms of like the classic monomyth story of star wars for Jin. Mm-hmm. like even though she's technically the main character i didn't feel like she was ever dominating the story yeah i felt like true. it was very much an ensemble mm. um so i i don't need a ton of her her backstory but just when she was talking to saw i was just like what is the point of his character i guess on one level i felt like it was an interesting parallel to vader he was mm. like the good in air quotes side um you know <laughs> yes. like just on a, on an obvious level, he was like needing the the breathing apparatus and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but he was someone who'd obviously compromised a lot. Like he'd, it, what was that line he had? Like I've lost so much of myself already, or something like that. Yeah, something like um, that. It's like, is there anything left to kill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like he was barely human anymore. Mm. In the same way, kind of like Vader. Yeah, and I did really think it was pointless to be honest to make that character from the Clone Wars. Like, I haven't seen the episodes with Saw in them, but, like, that didn't feel like it connected at all. You know? Yeah, I, that's something, again, that I feel like is fan service because um, no one in, in the general audience will understand that. Like, it, you, yes. don't, you don't need to know it to understand anything. It's just like, oh, he has the same name. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's not even like he alludes to having lost his sister or yeah, anything, you know, which nothing. is something that happens in Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, it's just he's a guy with the same name. He doesn't actually look like the character in Clone Wars. No, he doesn't have the blue eyes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing the explanation for that because I think Pablo said there is an explanation in the Visual Dictionary. What? I know. His eye is changing colour? Okay. <laughs> I'm very excited too to see it. Because <laughs> we were talking a while ago about his hair changing and that does make sense in the story because yes, it's obviously just, you know, time passes. But... Yep. Eye colour, that's a bit different. 
we'll see. Um, I did like um, how Chirrut really added to the overall theme, which was like this skepticism of the Force and how so much had been lost in terms of understanding the history of the Jedi and things like that. Like yeah. that they were the guardians of the worlds, but there was nothing left to guard. Mm. Like the Empire yeah. has just been destroying everything. Yeah, they were always just like beggars, weren't they? Like yeah, do like scrounge money from people. Yeah, quite depressing. And yeah, like you say, I find that interesting on a thematic level. Like the idea that there used to be this like very strong mystical presence, but it's like all being crushed and destroyed. Yeah, like, and then over the course of the movie, Bay starts to acknowledge it as well. Yes. Whereas at the beginning, he's obviously like kind of making fun of his friend and. Yeah, wasn't yeah. the idea that he was also a guardian of the wills? Because if he so, was, but yeah, like if I don't understand how you could be a guardian of the wills and not believe in the force, but maybe the idea is that he lost his faith because of everything that's happened under the empire. Like, I think that's probably what the trajectory is for that character. I just don't think it was very well conveyed. I think of all the like main crew characters, I think Baze was like the least well fleshed out. Yeah. I, I liked him, but it, he was kind of an accessory to Chirrut. Like, I don't know how much he stood on his own. Yeah, no, exactly. I think if you didn't have Chirrut, you certainly shouldn't have Baze. Yeah. They're like a pair. So they come together. Yeah. Um, what did you think about Cassian and Jin's relationship? I thought that was really sweet. Um, like, and and I, w- I was moved like by that final scene of them on the beach, like just embracing. Yeah. I thought that was a really, really powerful image, and like that did touch me. Um, I I suppose for me it's that I didn't find they developed that relationship well enough. Like, or at least they didn't do it with enough clarity, like for my tastes. Because mm-hmm. like I I think back to like the scene on Eadu. Like when Jin's like scrambling up to try and reach her father and Cassian's like on the ledge and he's like, oh no, not Jin. Oh my God. Like we can't attack. We can't attack because Jin's there. And I was just thinking they've they've hardly known each other. Like have they known each other for like five hours? Yeah. At that point I was like, is he already developing feelings for her, but doesn't realize? Because yeah, yeah, he had this order and... Yeah, his feelings towards her, they just seemed like too intense at that point based on the interactions we'd seen between them. Mm. It was like we were missing some kind of like major piece of connective tissue. I think, it, and it also, it doesn't help because there aren't really that many scenes with Justin and Cassian before the final act because there's always like K2SO around or something else, you know, <laughs> wisecracking. I love K2SO. Oh, me too. But it means there's like not much room for like an intimate relationship to develop. And yeah. you get a sense of them coming together. I really liked the two characters because I, I felt and I really appreciated that Cassian had his own arc that wasn't just about Jin. Yes. But um, I did wonder, like, and I really liked the fact that they were embracing and holding hands by the end. I really liked that sense of understated romance. And that yeah. was kind of what I was expecting. Like, I didn't think we were going to get a make-out scene or anything. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, I kind of wondered by the end, it was like, they falling more intently into these feelings because they feel like they could die any second i i definitely think that must be what's happening because it's yeah. not because they know each other on a deep and profound level right it's like a what could have been like if they'd survived yeah. then they could have actually properly got to know each other and and yeah. maybe fallen in love but at that point it was like well we're never going to get the chance to do that yeah no which is actually really poignant when you yeah it is that. i really liked that they went there yeah like, it felt honest yeah it wasn't like they said I love you or anything. It wasn't like a fairy tale. Yes. No, exactly. So. Like 
uh, like you say, it was understated. Yeah. And I, I think that was really good. I think they handled it in just the right way. Um, because I didn't need like a main central romance, but I think it was good because it does lend more like emotional power. Like if they were just there and at the end they were like shoving each other off, it was like Jin like, oh, get off! <laughs> or something, yeah. like Ray was with um Finn. <laughs> right. I felt like it was the right tone of romance for that story. Because if, yeah. if you'd gone for anything more, it would have maybe been too heavy for what the story was about. Yeah. And it, and like we said, it wasn't so much about the characters themselves. It was about the wider cause. Yeah. No, definitely. So. I think it would have felt a bit phony if they'd stressed it too much. Yeah. Um, Like, were they your favourite characters out of the main crew, um, Jin and Cassian? Well, I really liked people like Bodhi and Chirrut, but there was just so little to go on. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know more about them. So if there's more tie material, I'm definitely going to read it. Yes. Um, But it's hard to get too attached to them. Mm. So... Jin and Cassian, they seem to have the most screen time, so that was who I did grow attached to the most. Yeah. And you were following them as they were trying to get the plans. So. Yeah. Because no, once know. once they got that larger band of rebels, mm. it was like Chirrut, Bodhi, and Baze kind of blended in with them. Yes. You know? I mean, I liked that they all got their own dedicated death scene. Like, they, it wasn't glossed over. Yeah. But it was like, okay, they're the ones on the ground, so there's a large group of them, but you were really invested in Cassian and Jin trying to get these plans. Yes. No, that's definitely true. They were always, like, ancillary yeah. characters, I guess. Did you think the Cassian died? Like, when he fell? Yes, I did. I did. I yeah. was like, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was pretty convinced. Like, so, yeah. when he, like, came back to, like, kill Krennic, I was like, damn, I'm genuinely surprised, which is good because often these movies you go in and you know every beat and that did genuinely take me back. Although it did kind of make me sad because I wanted Jin to kill him. Like, because Actually, I felt there was something so personal there between her and Krennic. Like, I wanted her to take him out. I Yeah, I know what you mean, but I also love the idea of the Death Star killing Krennic. <laughs> <laughs> like, how good is that? That is actually a really good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I get it. By like, the hand of his own creation. Yeah, I. It would have been kind of cool for them to go there with a female lead because, yeah, I don't know what we're gonna have with Ray in future. But I've seen some reviews that kind of say that Jin and Ray are interchangeable or barely distinguishable, and I <laughs> do not think that's true at all. I don't think they have much in common. Yeah, I really like both characters, but they're not the same at all. I don't think they'd be friends, to be honest. Ray is clearly supposed to be even though they're not much younger like she's not much younger by years she feels much more like childlike at the beginning of the force awakens yeah no but she's going on that journey she's clearly like a woman yeah like and you don't get that with um ray she's much more like young and yeah and ray has that very um yeah idealistic view of um the black and white politics like, yeah. oh, wow, you're with the resistance. Wow, that means you're one of the good guys. Whereas Jin is like, no, both sides are messed up. So, yeah, I, I, I really liked that element of her arc that she was like, no, I just don't care about fighting. And Saul was like, well, this isn't, you know, how I raised you and what your father stood for and things like this. And then yeah. because of she, she gets that connection with her father again through the hologram, that's like her turning around point, which I really appreciated that she was like, no, there is something worth fighting for here. Yeah. So I thought that was handled quite well because it, it, I'm sure not everyone agrees about that and mm. people might think it came from nowhere, but she had to go on that transformative journey in some way. And, yeah. uh, I did really be... like the hologram 
I think my issue was that I didn't feel like I understood how Jin felt towards her father before that properly. Like, yes. I understood that the hologram represented a big turning point in that relationship. Well, you know, when she's she's talking to Mom Mothma and she's like, I prefer to think of him as dead. It's like she's just kind of repressed her childhood. Yeah. She doesn't allow herself to think about him. Yeah, like, I, I wanted to understand more about that. I mm. think if they were going to do the flashbacks, I think it'd be much more effective to do flashbacks with, like, the small Jin and, like, have how her as a child is remembering her father. And then, like, convey that relationship, the impressions that adult Jin carries with her about her father, like, yeah. through those flashbacks. Because, like, the flashback you see, which I think is it just after she sees the hologram, that you get the flashback to Coruscant. Can't remember. Yeah, like, I'll, I'll obviously check it when I see it again. But, like, that flashback, it was just about her dad being lovely to her and calling her stardust and tucking her in and being, like, kind and gentle so like it's not clear why there's any like animosity there because of that because that seems to be like a relatively positive memory of like the father-daughter relationship um like apart from the vague weird sense there's something sinister going on with Krennic and Lyra oh I really liked the part with Krennic drinking the scotch (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a nice interesting character detail was that like um, a scene that's found in Catalyst yeah because yeah they the the ESO family live on Coruscant for a bit with right. the there as well. Yeah. Yeah. It looked really awkward. Like, oh, Lyra, yeah. it's like, I want the floor to swallow me whole. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, I mean, you can see that at the beginning of the film, right? She hates Krennic. Yes. I, oh, okay. I, I knew that Lyra was going to die. <laughs> but again, it's like this idea of mothers just not caring about their children. Yeah, like that's what um, your daughter's right there and you're telling her to run away but it's like you could go with her and your your husband has told this guy that you're dead yeah and it's not like you can take all krennic and his death troopers so you're gonna die like you can't get out of this situation yeah it just seemed really stupid yeah no i did not understand that motivation like i don't care how much you hate krennic if you have a chance to escape with your child and like continue to care for your young young child who needs you Go with your child. I'm sorry, but like then you're an adult woman. You can arrange something with Saw and like maybe try and stage a rescue attempt or something. You know, don't like go and try and shoot. It's, yeah, again, it just that makes just kind of stupid. It reminds me of the like Padme dying in childbirth. <sighs> yeah, like, because of a broken heart. It's like you can't live for your kids. Mm-hmm. It just, I, I don't know if it's like because these stories are written by men or yeah. they just don't care and they'll use mothers as a plot device but it just doesn't make sense to me yeah like if you're gonna have if you're gonna show that this mother really loved her child she's gonna give her the necklace and blah blah it's like okay but then she's just gonna turn around and Mm. effectively kill herself yeah i just i I can't help but think that it would have actually been much stronger to have lyra not do that and then lyra and Jin escape and then lyra raises Jin like a only mother like a single mother even um and yeah like and then she like tells Jin like some untruth like about what happened to her father and then like as her mother's dying or something like she's got an illness or something then she says look Jin I I misled you to protect you this is what actually happened with your father Mm. like you might want to try and find out what's like going on with him (laughs) or something like that it would have meant so much more to me to have that central person who raised her be her mother Rather yeah. than just like random freaky half robot dude saw, like who was just bizarre. Like you say, that character just seems so 
tonally out of place from the rest of the film. Yeah, and like the interrogation of Bodhi. <laughs> oh. oh my god, okay. That puts the interrogations from Kylo Ren to shame because he's a big softie in comparison. Oh my god. <laughs> Horrible. It's like, what is wrong with you, Saw? <laughs> Yeah, what, seriously. What was he calling it? Like Budgali or something? Like he just kept. <laughs> just, that was just a bizarre performance. I've got to say. Like I don't feel like it added too much to the film. Yeah, I, like have you seen Blue Velvet, the David Lynch film? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Dennis Hopper in that yeah. film, he has like the weird breathing mask. Uh huh. <laughs> sort of reminded me of that. <laughs> I should not go into a Star Wars film and come out thinking, yeah, that reminds me of Blue Velvet. <laughs> Right, it's a bit strange. Yes, I feel like I'm sounding too negative. Like I'm picking apart everything that I thought was weird, but I did really enjoy it. Yeah, like, and I'm I really appreciated that they managed to keep me on the edge of my seat, even though I'd been saying like, oh, you know, we know how this film's going to end. We know that they get the plans. So how how are they going to do it? They really mm. did, you know, keep you guessing. Yes, which is quite an achievement. Yeah, no, I, I felt it was like strong in terms of like the suspense. And like keeping you there for like the plot, I like I really thought the battle scenes are very well executed. They're very spectacular and they looked amazing. And I think it just says more about my personal preferences that I kind of wish they were shorter. <laughs> like, and that's just because, like, as a rule, I'm not a huge war movie person. You know, mm. so like a thirty-minute battle is not my idea of cinematic bliss. Oh, I know what you mean, yeah. but I think they were the best battle scenes in. That I've seen in Star Wars. Oh yeah, like so. I think they're probably the strongest battle scenes in Star Wars. Yeah, and that's really what Gareth Edwards is good at. Yes. So. Yeah. No, definitely. I, I think my like summation of Rogue One would probably be: I, I do think it's a good film. It's just not the kind of Star Wars film that speaks to me on a personal level. Right. It's not that fairy tale kind. It's, yeah. it's almost like um, one of the books brought to the screen. Yes. Which, you know, it's it's good in its own right. Um, so I, I can't really compare it to The Force Awakens because they're totally different. Yeah. No, it's so, you know, so different. It's like apples and oranges. Yeah. Like one is the beginning of a trilogy for one thing and it's J.J. Abrams. So it's, it's the mystery box. Um, <laughs> yes. So it was kind of refreshing to just watch a film and not have to constantly wonder about where things were going and what something meant. Yeah. No, and that's interesting, actually. So I have... Um seen people actually say they prefer Rogue One to Force Awakens and when I first heard that I was like how I don't understand but then I, I looked into it tired... so, sorry. So, sorry um yeah I looked into it and people were actually saying that one of the things they liked about Rogue One was that it was so self-contained right it didn't I... have those dangling threads that the Force Awakens did and on that level I can totally understand why you would prefer Rogue One because like it is just what it is Mm-hmm. Like and if you don't want to be endlessly frustrated and obsessed with message boards and Reddit, then Rogue One is the way to go for you. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think after a year of The Force Awakens, people are starting to feel a bit fatigued by it. Yeah, and and all of the you know it's endless theories and speculation and this idea that if you get too invested in one reading, then you could be let down by the rest of the trilogy. Yes. Whereas Rogue One, it really is what it says on the tin. Yeah, it's entertaining, um, and then. You know, people won't be harassing Pablo about what's going to happen next. It's like they'll, <laughs> yes. they'll, they can go to him for clarification on things that like a visual dictionary would provide, which is kind of what he's there to do. Mm. Not humor the latest Snoke theory or, 
you know do you know what I mean like yeah. so I, he's probably feeling a bit of relief as well about it as well yeah no I think I saw him mention that he'd like just went to see it like a normal like crowd at the cinema and I thought that must be such a weird experience when you're one of the people like intimately involved with the production yeah. of these films I can just go in there and like sit among Joe public and just experience it with them yeah it must be, be quite a cool talk. experience in a way but also a bit weird <laughs> yeah I I mean, I would definitely do that if I was involved. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'd like, be fascinated. Yeah. Like, I think I saw um, John Boyega did that. Like, I think he spoke about yeah. like, sneaking into the cinema and like sitting down to watch it amongst people. And I thought that's so cool. And that's such yeah. a job thing to do. Yeah, that would be really cool. Just And, you know, to see people like cheering for your character and stuff like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I bet he was so stoked. <laughs> um, oh, oh here's an interesting point. I saw someone on Twitter say that their new favourite Star Wars trilogy was Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, and A New Hope. <laughs> nice. Don't you think that's kind of cool? That, that is kind of cool. It. I can see that. Like, especially like Return to Mustafar. Yeah. Um, the castle, because that is a re- like, obviously it's a brief scene, but it's a very striking visual link to that particular film. Yeah. The Mustafar and Coruscant, it kind of, I know there have been rumours that like, oh, Disney hate the prequels and want to pretend they don't exist. Yeah. That's obviously not the case, and I think we'll be getting more glimpses of those planets and characters to come. Yeah. Really Were you surprised by how much Bale was in it? Uh, no, I didn't think he was in it that much. I was surprised. I was. Like, so I thought he was only going to have one scene. So when he like kept on popping up every now and again, I was like, oh, it's Bale! Yay! Yeah, I, I thought he was great. Yeah. No, I really liked him. It's like I liked <laughs> he referenced Obi Wan as well. So yes. That's cool. Like the Jedi friend. Oh yeah. Um one of the things that came out before Rogue One was released was Anthony Bruskin, he didn't like that flowchart with like lines like indicating the connections to the other films, like in the Star Wars um, movies. Um and there was obviously a line from Rogue One to episode eight. Having seen Rogue One, do you have any new theories on what that link could be? Or or do you still think it's like the wills and stuff? I still think it might be the Wills. And I think it might relate to Snoke. Mm. I think I might have my own Snoke theory now. Ooh, exciting. I've not cared about Snoke at all because there's been nothing to go on. But I think yeah. with this, that he, like, in, in terms of like how ancient he is alluded to be and things like that. Yes. He might be one of the Wills or somehow associated with them. <laughs> in that case, the Wills are proper ugly looking. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know what the hell's happened to him. He's got that big scar on his forehead and stuff. But I don't. That's a it's total speculation. But it's just me trying to connect how it would go because I don't know. Like Snoke's obsessed with this idea of Kylo being the balance of light and dark and mm. having equal potential. Yes. Um. And then we have that poem at the beginning of the novelization that we talked about. Yeah. But there's so little to go on it's just like previously for me there's been absolutely nothing in terms of Snoke yeah so this is just something that could possibly hint that way but I'm not invested in it do you want to hear my theory yes I think they're going to go back to the castle oh yeah I would love that so much I think they totally could yeah and there's actually something I, I believe this is like a photo from the art of Rogue One which basically someone's been photographing particular bits and putting them on Reddit and like it's just a comment from one of the concept designers about Vader's castle in Rogue One. And I think it's Doug Chiang. And he says, we were building walls. So we always had to keep in mind the broad strokes and the big picture in case they were ever needed for the story, said Chiang. 
We don't see it all right now, but the idea was that Vader's castle was built over a natural cave, a Sith cave deep down below in the lava field. Like that to me, like about building walls and like potentially returning to it, like in the context of the bigger picture, that does make me more optimistic that we might go there in episode eight. Yeah, I think I said earlier that there were concept arts for The Force Awakens that had the castle in it. Yes. Um, and there was an earlier version of the concept art, which I don't I don't think it's in the book or anything, but I remember Jason Ward talking about it, mm. um, where, you know, that picture is, this one isn't in The Force Awakens book either, but it's been making the rounds on the internet of the Jedi killer with his arms around Kira from behind. Yes. Like in a possessive, mean. like Phantom of the Opera kind of thing. Yeah. And she's like He'd, staring ahead blankly. Yeah, he'd seen a version of that where the background looked like a gothic cathedral. Oh, wow. So I wondered if originally the Jedi killer had taken up residence in Vader's castle because he was mm-hmm. supposed to just be like weirdly emulating him almost to mock Luke Skywalker, right? Yes. So he lives in Vader's castle and takes Kira there. Like, oh, it's very creepy. But yeah, I wonder if like Kylo and Rey could end up there. I could definitely see that. And, um, like, and I think it's also yeah. worth mentioning that in that concept art, there's like something wrong with the Jedi killer's face. Like yeah. he's wearing like a, a mask kind of situation, um, and but almost like a half mask of his, he as if he's hiding a disfigurement, um, and that does also like add to the suggestion that this like scarred version of the Kylo figure they like shunted that back. So if they shunted that back, then maybe they're also going to be reusing some of these like ideas that they had, like in terms mm. of. Ray and Kylo at the castle. Yeah. yeah. We all see it. It's very intriguing. Yeah, and, and I guess that makes sense. Like, oh, I don't want to get into spoilers for episode eight, but just that we know that Luke from The Force Awakens, we know he's at the first Jedi temple. Mm. So I guess at some point it might make sense for them to go to a Sith yes. temple or cave or whatever it's called. Yeah. There's, I think there's been lots of talk about um, episode eight, like providing more answers about the nature of the Force and stuff. Yeah. So it would be interesting that if you get insight into like the light side of the Force through Luke on Act 2, then like Kylo could be like, no, there's an alternative. Come on, I'll show you the dark side. <laughs> and then they like jump in the ship and hop over to Mustafar and like, have a grand tour. Be very charming. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, Kylo would eat that up. He would be so, so happy to live there. It would be like dream, you know, like living the dream. Kylo on Mustafar. Or maybe it would be a horrible moment of realisation. <laughs> like, actually, this isn't what I want. This is scary. <laughs> that's the serious contemplative answer. <laughs> and probably more like the one they've gone for. Okay, so I know everyone's like, oh, badass Vader. Wow, that's so exciting. But yeah. I still, when I look at him, I'm like, that's Anakin. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's in this castle by himself without his Padme. And it's where he last saw her. And I... Just such a sucker. I don't know. It is an interesting choice that they start off with, um, like Vader in the tank, because mm. you obviously get a glimpse of him at his most vulnerable there. Yeah, more vulnerable in that scene than he even was seen from Empire Strikes Back, where you see him from behind. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's like a very deliberate choice. Yeah, when he's in the tank, he needs aid, right? Like he doesn't have limbs, so <laughs> yes. that guy who comes to tell him. You know, Krennic's here. He's gonna have to help him out of there and like get him back into his suit. Like that is just so grim, and sad. It is. It's really, really depressing. Like, see, he is like, he, like he's just profoundly disabled, like yeah. physically disabled, and like it's very like poignant and like heartrending. 
on that. Yeah, in, in the book, The Laws of the Surf, he goes into like how he feels, and every moment for him is just complete agony. <laughs> but then that fuels his anger, right? So it's yeah. all self perpetuating. Yeah. Ugh. A horrible cycle. Yeah, I mean, that last moment of Vader like killing all those people, and they're like desperately trying to get through the door and like take this, <sighs> take this off me. Oh my God. I'm so yeah, excited was... to see that again. <laughs> yeah, it was exhilarating. Yeah, it really was. It's tomorrow. It's Science Museum, oh, 70 yeah. millimeter. Oh, I'm so and there, there was just that moment in the dark where you can just hear him breathing. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Like, and then when the lightsaber ignites. Yeah, it was. It was really good. It was like total fan service, but the best kind, <laughs> the great. Kind. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I really enjoyed it, so it doesn't bother me. But it does make me wonder. Okay, so when they do future standalones, I guess we're going to have Han Solo. So he's he's a beloved character as well. Mm. Are they going to kind of ease into this idea of having the standalones with completely new scenarios, or like a thousand years into the past, or something like that? Because this wasn't really a standalone, in my opinion. No, it wasn't. Like, um. It's like I said, I'm going to tell my friend who asked if she should make this her first Star Wars movie. No, that's no, a bad I, idea. Because, you know, they I know they had little details, like they gave the planet names along the bottom of the screen and stuff, but that is such minimal help to people understanding why they were going to all these different places. And, oh, you, you've actually seen this planet before in an earlier film. And it seemed like a film that was already geared to people who were, were invested in Star Wars. Yeah, no, definitely. No. I, I saw with a friend who's much more casual than I am. Not hard, but <laughs> she just is. Um, and yeah, like I could sense she was a bit lost at times. You know, I think she found it quite difficult to track what was happening and she found like all the different characters confusing. Yeah, there were just so many characters. Like my husband is a big Star Wars fan, but when mm. Bail Organa came on screen, he was like, "Who's that again?" Oh, so I, yeah. so I was, like, oh yeah, you know, like that's Bail. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. I had to say, "Oh, that's Leia's father." Remember? Yeah. Oh yeah, but he hasn't seen the prequels in a while, so and he doesn't play a huge part in those either. So yeah, yeah. a lot of a lot of the things felt like nods to people who were excited to see these characters. Yeah, like what were the overall opinions of the people you went to see it with? They seem to really like it. Mm. Yeah, I think people found it novel to have that and like lack of emphasis on the force. But yes. It was about people on the ground and the politics side of it. I know there've been this kind of frustrating comments from Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy this week about how it's not a political movie. <laughs> ah, yes. I don't know how they can say that with a straight face. <laughs> it's the most political Star Wars movie. Yeah, that's silly. It is um them trying to save PR face, I think. Right, they want to make their money, so I get it, but it, it's seriously... It's keeping of... the shareholders happy, I think well, that's what that's called. It's patronising the audience because of, of people go to this film and don't recognise it for what it's trying to say. Because, And I, I really liked the message that it wasn't actually as black and white as the original trilogy was. Like They made a point of showing that the Rebellion was doing bad things too, Yeah, and they did not have their stuff together. Like, uh, you know, they're around that round, ta- round table meeting and mm. Mon Mothma, Admiral Radis, Bail Organa and Jin are all saying, come on, we need to do this. We need to fight. And then because they don't have a consensus, they just don't want to do it. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I did like that. Um, so it would have been very easy to just like paint the rebellion as like plucky heroes. Um, and the Empire is like this evil organization. I, and to yeah. be fair, the Empire was pretty evil, as you would expect. But like the rebellion themselves, they were certainly shades of grey. 
Yeah, had... this idea that they had to do terrible things mm. for you know the greater good. Yeah, and I do think they also like paint it in like a somewhat sinister light when you just see these like poor like imperial grunts like just being slaughtered by the rebels, mm-hmm. like because they are just dudes in there. And it's not like you get the heartbreaking story of like Stormtrooper one oh five zero in Rogue One and so you want to like cry when he's killed and like his wife is sent a we're sorry for your last letter in the hollow net. Right. Um, but yeah, I I do think that they made death have more weight to it in Rogue One than what we're used to seeing in Star Wars. Which yeah. is good. I I'm wondering how if that has an impact on episode eight as well. Mm. Um, because it makes sense, right, for the the second movie to do that anyway, to an extent. But yeah, I, yeah, I just wonder if, like, almost part of Finn's arc that he's going to switch over to the resistance, and it's going to be, oh well, you you guys are making the same decisions that caused me to leave the first order in the first place. Yes, that'd, that'd be, be really, really interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really excited to see where Finn's story goes. So yeah. I think that's the kind of thing that would really kind of give give him some trials. To be like, is this what I want to do? And yes. how do I feel about that? So, Yeah, no, definitely. That would be um, a really interesting thing. So I think 8 is pretty certain to muddy the moral grey, the mud- muddy the moral space mm-hmm. even more than what we've already seen. Because Force Awakens, as much as I love it, is a pretty black and white movie for the most part. Like You, you do obviously get novel ideas such as like the Stormtrooper crossing over to... Um, um, the resistance. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so confused because we're dealing with rebellion timeline yeah. and resistance timeline. So it's like, ah, oh, which one is it? Um, yeah, so Finn going over to the resistance. But like Finn, it's just clear he's like an anom- he's an anomaly. He's the only good guy amongst a bunch of bad seeds, and you don't feel anything like when he's mowing down his colleagues and stuff. Like, and I, I think we're going to move on from that in episode eight. I think we are going to see more complexity. Yeah, I hope so. It would always be interesting to have the reverse because now we've had Finn and Bodhi defect. Yes. Would we get a defector from the Resistance? Mm. To the that First really Order, you mean? Maybe. Or, you know, just having these voices of what's going on here. Like, I mean, maybe Laura Dern's character. Again, I should stop talking about Episode 8 because this is about <laughs> Rogue One. But it's just really interesting to think about how this standalone is going to affect the direction of Star Wars yes. in general. Because I do, I do feel like it's much more reflective of today's kind of moral landscape and how people feel about war as opposed to in the seventies. Yeah. So. Which I, I welcomed. It was nice and mature in that respect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a really silly and frivolous thing, but did you see any ships <laughs> in Rogue One? Uh, like, I thought... mean, you don't mean the um, like mechanized ones. <laughs> oh, you mean like, do I ship any of the characters? <laughs> yes. I don't. Yeah, like I, just, I found that really interesting. There wasn't. I think it might be because they all died. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I've seen people on Tumblr be like, "Okay, well, after Rogue One, I need to write some Cassian and Jin fluff," mm. which I I get because, you know, it's sad what happens to them. Yeah. But it just seems so final and so self-contained that it's like this is their story. Yeah. Um, I'm not much of a shipper anyway, so I'm sure there will be tons of ships. <laughs> yes. But there's just nothing that really grabbed me. Yeah. There what was, about you? There's nothing I want to ship personally, like in a sense of like, oh, I'm actively gonna like write fan fiction and stuff. You know, there was nothing in Rogue One that inspired that feeling in me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Like, if anything came close, it would definitely be Jin and Cassian. So I think that was, like, the sweetest relationship. Yeah. And that was one where there's, like, an actual basis for it in the film. <laughs> I was thinking watching it. I reckon if any ship is going to be, like, the breakout ship of Rogue One, it's going to be Krennic and Galen. Yeah. <laughs> you know it will be. Oh, yeah, because they're it two will... white dudes, of course. Yeah, they're two white dudes. <laughs> That's how and... fandom operates. Yeah, so. and it's Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> yeah, he is gorgeous. Yeah, he is. I felt he was really underused. I was so sad when he died. I was like, oh man, you're not dying already. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I did think he was really strong in that role. Um, Galen, I, I'm kind of... Part of the time I'm like, wow, this guy's really smart and also incredibly stupid. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like that the deaths are ended up being an inside job. So it's like, yeah. you know, I'm glad that he did that. And that was obviously hugely important to the story. Yeah. But I- it's also... Yeah, I, I'm glad that he worked out that Krennic had just been stringing him along for decades. <laughs> Last but it's the light bulb. <laughs> a catalyst just makes that all extremely frustrating. <laughs> Does he just seem like a dumb blonde, kind of? It's not that he's dumb. It's like he just wants to believe the best in people. And like, Aww. I don't know, just I mean, Krennic's so Machiavellian. I don't yeah. know if that comes across properly in the film. Um, he's very ambitious, obviously. Like he's like, "Well, you tell the emperor." <laughs> There's just this desperation to him. He just seems but like he... a bit of a loser. To be honest. Yeah, it, in the film, it's like he's on that downward spiral, right? Like you just know this guy's going to meet an untimely end. Um, yeah. But in the book, he's like very much in trying desperately to get this thing to succeed. So it's um, he's more on an upward trajectory in that way. Mm. Uh, but I really like that kind of look at the middle management aspect of. Um, empire life yeah you know i i know that he, maybe the trailers were kind of giving off his impression because he was like swanning around in his cape that he yeah. was like you know Powerful. a big deal yeah. but i like that they kind of subverted that with the actual mm. film i actually found it was almost a bit like mean girls but like with a bunch of like middle-aged white men oh yeah so yeah. much posturing like the old, the, <laughs> the old boys club like vader and tarkin were both like nah <laughs> we're not letting you in you can't yeah. see the emperor <laughs> It was really funny. And I, and I also, I could swear that I saw like some of the background Imperials just like looking Krennic up and down like they were teenage girls. Yeah, like, probably. oh, you're such a show off with that like, stupid cape. <laughs> yeah, I really did feel like his working classness came through. Um, <laughs> yeah. which I, did, I just didn't get that from the trailers up until like the last TV spot we saw and we were talking about that yeah. last week or before that. I just thought that he seemed like, like a Hux character, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's oh, that on the shot basis of, of that. Huh? Um, sorry, you, you finish your point? Oh, just a bit of him walking through the the water as like the sunsets on Scarif in the trailer. Yeah, it just seems so extra. But that <laughs> did. You know, you don't get that vibe from him at all in the film. The cape just seems like this sad way to <laughs> compensate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's kind of like how um, like you find that. Like, like if you find like the established poppy circle of posh people, like and they're all like very assured and very sophisticated in their own like wealth and prestige, and then there's like someone who's like nouveau rich, like mm-hmm. and they've like worked their way up by working really really hard, and they don't quite understand like the culture and the conventions. Yeah. So they like go a bit too far. To, yeah, that's like, exactly try and compensate right and project, and I think that's exactly what Krennic does. <laughs> Yeah, I I thought it was a great performance because mm. that's not Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> he doesn't come across like that at all. So glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, so I just yeah, I I really like that you got that side of it. And again, that's that's kind of an, an impression of 
um, imperial culture that you get from a lot of the books. Mm. Um, but in the films before, we've just had people like Tarkin and Vader. So and and their subordinates who they punish, but not not like the the in between like Krennic. Yeah. So no, I liked it. Um, yeah, on that note, talking about trailers, do you want to have a quick discussion about what was not in Rogue One? Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't mind it. Yeah. Like, I, I like it, actually, that we got all this marketing and yet I still found myself surprised by a lot of what was going on. Yeah, like, I think I saw some people say, like, 50% of the stuff in the trailers wasn't in the film, but I'd be tempted to say even more than that. I'd be tempted to say, like, 75%. Yeah, because there were little things like, um, you know, when... Um, Jin's on that platform and then the TIE fighter comes down. Yeah. It's like almost the same, but the TIE fighter's not there for some reason. It's... Right. And that presumably, like, do we reckon that meant it played out quite differently? Do, or do we think someone like came in at the last moment and took the TIE fighter out before it could like, attack her? I don't know. So many questions. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I've also found, I reckon they really did tone Jin down. Like, they got rid of, like, the I rebel oh, thank God. line. And they also got rid of, like, Mon Mothma talking about, um, uh, like, reckless, undisciplined, blah, blah, blah. It's like she's reading off, like, Jin's list of character traits. And I didn't really get those character traits from her so much in the final product. Yeah. That makes sense. She seemed much more, like, mellow. Like, there was still, like, lots of, like, sadness and resentment. But she seemed almost, like, more beaten down than defiant, if that makes yeah. sense. I liked that. Um, yeah. The defiance, like we've talked before about the this. This is a rebellion, isn't it? It's like <laughs> that's just a horrible line. I'm really glad that that's not there. Yeah, but I can buy the idea of her being jaded and just not caring either way. Um, mm-hmm. a lot more than just I don't know being a bit more petulant. Yeah, it it fits her story in in my opinion. Yeah, and I think it does make it easier to empathize with her. Is that easier to feel sorry for someone who's clearly just like really sad and feels like betrayed by the world I guess I think think it's almost like where Rey would be in five years if the events of Force Awakens didn't happen it's Mm. like Rey is young enough to still have that like hope and optimism in her heart but I think if she had stayed on Jakku for much longer I think that would have been eroded and I think she would be more like Jin. Yeah it's like her spirit's just kind of broken. Yeah um, and I, I think that's quite relatable in, in terms of, again, the politics of like, okay, something's awful, ha- awful could be happening. Do mm. you care? And she's like, well, you just don't have to look up. Yeah. You know, that is quite relatable for lots of people because you have this apathy and helplessness that like awful things are going on in the world. But I guess I just have to turn the other cheek and get on with my life because it's nothing mm. that I can do anything about. Yeah. And and that's a really good point because Rogue One says that's not true. There is something you can do. You can make a difference. Yeah. And that is a very, very political point to make, especially right now. And yeah, that just makes it clear how silly it is. Like those, oh, it's not political. (laughs) Yeah. Here we have lots of senators talking about politics around a round table. (laughs) Yeah, it's very transparent that they're just saying that so that they can make their money. (laughs) But whatever. Yeah, anyone with a brain can watch this movie and see that that's not true. So yeah, I don't care what they say as long as the movies themselves continue to have interesting things going on. Yeah, which I trust will be the case. Um, right? Do you like have any final things you want to say about Rogue One, Kirsty? Um, I guess I I really appreciate the steps in diversity that it took. Mm. 
Um, I thought Jim was great, and I really appreciate that a lot of the supporting characters and Cassian were people of colour. Yes. But it was... When you saw these big groups of rebels and Imperials, it it was all men. Yeah. You know, like, you had two female pilots, I think, and I think each of them had, like, one line of dialogue. Yeah. And then you had Mon Mothma and that woman who I don't I don't even know her name. Like the senator lady? Dress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure she has a name, but I don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Um, and th- and there was nothing on the imperial side. I was kind of hoping we'd get Ray Sloan in the background or something like that. Mm. But I don't know. I just think they could have done a bit more. Yeah. No, that's actually a really good point. Um, there was a really good um Tumblr post on this. Um, it's by someone called Katie at the Barricade, and they basically put to li- put together a list of like the original characters, like in Rogue One, like dividing them by like gender. Mm. So like original female characters, you get Jin Erso, Lyra Erso, who's obviously killed in the first scene, <laughs> um, unnamed rebellion councilwoman, who's the, la- the lady you just mentioned, yes. and then three rebel pilots with one or two lines apiece. And then that's right. it for female original characters. Um, and then for male characters, you have Cassian, K2SO, Chirrut, Baze, Krennic, Bodhi Rook, Galen Erso, General Draven. And like these are all just new characters, it's excluding returning characters. Mm-hmm. But I think that makes a great point about like how unba- unbalanced it is in terms of the gender representation still. So it's like, it's great that you're having female leads. It's awesome. And I really, really like Jin. I think she was a very good character. But like, there's so much more that could be done. Yeah, it's- it seems like diversity for women just extends to them being women. Yeah. It's like, you know, I found myself being pleased at the fact that that black lady, because I don't know her name, because we don't have any information on her, mm. um, had a couple of lines, mm. you know, because I was worried that she would just have whatever we had in the trailer and that was it. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's slim pickings. <laughs> yeah. No, it's um, sad when that's what you're clinging to. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I. it's just... For me, I'm I'm really hoping that they do great things with Kelly Marie Tran in episode eight. Yeah, I think I'm more optimistic for episode eight because I think we already know there are going to be at least four prominent female characters in that film. Because you have Ray, Leia, Laura Dunn's character, and Kelly Marie Tran's character, and hopefully there's going to be many more beside. But we know that those are all going to be prominent to some degree. So yeah, I'm more optimistic for that. But yeah, I think Lucasfilm, they, they just really need to get the message that it's awesome and wonderful that you have female protagonists. Just try to get a few more female characters in there. Just try. Just have them in the background, if anything. Yeah. like Because you have these huge crowds, like I said, like all of those rebels stood behind Cassian. You could have made two or three of them women. Yeah. It's not like they don't have lines, <laughs> you know, like. It just just have the faces so that it's it just feels more real because women are in the military. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. Maybe the excuse they'd come up with is, "Oh, we were trying to be realistic to the portrayal in A New Hope." Uh, and, that's like, um, no, that, that, that doesn't, doesn't work. Cut it. That doesn't you can't cut do it. that because no. the, yeah, you can't look back at the lack of diversity in the seventies and say you're doing it for those reasons. <laughs> that's that doesn't that doesn't work. It's a very bad excuse. And I, I'm. this is, again, it's not me trying to diminish the importance of all of these roles for people of colour because I thought they were great. I, I know that there's been concerns about the level of characterization just because there are so many of them and the story is bigger than the characters themselves. Yeah. But I, 
I thought they were all great. Like, I think they're going to become beloved characters. Yeah. So. This is like, I love Rizamed. Okay, oh, yeah. I really like him. He's a great actor. But I don't think Bodie Rook needed to be a man. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't. this is the thing. For a lot of roles, it's like, do they need to be men? Like, yes. what's, what's inherently masculine about them? Yeah, exactly. You know? And the answer is not much. They are just people. Like, women are just people. So Wait, I was reading this interview with Gareth Edwards. <gasps> and he was talking about Jin. Mm. And he was like, oh, we didn't write her as female or feminine. We wrote her as neutral. Oh. It's like, okay, so if it goes that way for the female character... Are the men somehow intrinsically male, or are they also neutral? And if they're neutral, could they have been women? <laughs> like, yeah. one, what is wrong with having a feminine protagonist? Mm. Like the idea of, oh well, yes, she's a woman, but she's not too womanly. <laughs> I really hate that sentiment. It really yeah. aggravates me. I think Kathleen Kennedy said quite the opposite as well. So mm. um, she's said that Ray and Jin are feminine like mm. their femi- femininity is part of them yeah it doesn't mean they're girly girls because that's not fe- what feminism <laughs> feminine is it's not like a, yeah. a synonym yeah no definitely there's, there's more to being a woman than just parading around in dresses or <laughs> the interlude where Jing goes and buys handbags i know yeah. maybe that's why she's in prison at the start of it because she shoplifted like a handbag who knows <laughs> i think it's because i'm tying it together with that tv spot that gareth edwards had where he was talking about Jen as a strong female character mm. and so what it does that mean that a strong female character isn't a woman because you're talking about her in neutral terms <laughs> <sighs> like it's it probably sounds like I'm just trying to pick apart his quotes, but um, I, I think it's very innocent. I think when get people like Gareth Edwards say these things, they say them the absolute best of intentions, but I don't think they think properly about what they're saying. They don't recognise that by saying, "Oh, we didn't try to make um Jin like we didn't conceive of Jin as male or female. We tried to like to keep her neutral." Like, I don't think he understands when he says that, that neutral in Hollywood terms has always been male. Like, right, well, they would never been... say that. They would never say that as a, about a male lead. Yeah. You never exactly. say, oh, well, he's not masculine or feminine. He's just neutral. <laughs> you exactly. Know? Like, yeah. It's like you're trying to appease to the people who have a problem with a female protagonist. It's like, no, you should not appease those people. Yeah. So I'll just tell you what I would like a scene in episode eight where Ray and Kelly Marie Tran go shopping for shoes <laughs> just to piss people off you know yeah like i was <laughs> like do it i as much as i love padme i think the, the fashion can get a bit much but i suppose that's part <laughs> of like the prequels being this like false gilded age yeah but for for ray you know i would love it if we get to like episode nine and she is in this beautiful outfit and has yeah. you know has her head and everything because she's come from just such a horrible background mm. that it's like just let her yeah, indulge she... in that for a while like why yeah. not it doesn't it would not diminish her yeah if it's important to the plot like she could be at a ball or something or you, you know what i mean like yeah, it's sure. like, I, like i overt um resistance espionage i'd love that like in like a fancy gown and she's yeah. like trick someone like jedi mind trick style right cool. like i think it's a good message to send that like you can be feminine and also be a badass like i don't I don't see why the two have to be mutually ex- exclusive. And like, if you if you are f- intentionally feeling like you're stripping Jin and Ray of their femininity, I don't think that's a success. Yeah, that's not something you should be um like boasting about doing. It's not a good thing. Yeah. 
It's like, oh dear. I, I think like Kathleen Kennedy maybe one day needs to sit down with the directors and say, guys, when you talk about the female protagonists, don't say you're trying to make them better by making them less female. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good look. It's really not. Right. Oh, goodness. Um, but yeah, I think we should wrap this up because I want to try and get this baby up tonight. Um, so yeah, would you like give it a rating at all? Like, or would you be reluctant to do that until you've seen it again? Like, I'm thinking I'd be reluctant to do it until I've seen it again. So yeah, I, d- I don't know because I I said earlier I was thinking like eight out of ten. Yes. Um, but I I don't know. It's kind of arbitrary anyway. But yeah. Um, I really liked it, and I th- I mm. think it will grow on me more. Yeah, that's how I feel. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I still prefer The Force Awakens, but I think I'm always going to have a soft spot for the Skywalker saga. Yeah, same. Like, it's all that family melodrama. <laughs> like, that is, like, very juicy and appealing to me. Yeah. So, um, um, but I think it was a really strong start to the standalones, and I'm excited about where they're going to go with them. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's good as, like, a proof of concept. Yeah. It shows that these movies can work, that they have something interesting to say and, like, new stories to tell. Um, so yeah, like I'm very much looking forward to seeing where they go. Um, for now, I'd give it seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Like, but that is very much subject to change. And yeah, I, I definitely look forward to discussing it again when we come back after Christmas, because mm-hmm. I think now is a good time to say that we're going to take two weeks off, because obviously it's Christmas and New Year, <laughs> and we have lots of personal things to do, families and stuff. So that's going to be. There's probably not going to be an awful lot of news anyway, like while Rogue One's going on. Yeah, there'll be stuff about like how much money it's making and everything. But yeah, exactly. So basically, we are going to be back in January with a nice meaty episode to bring you up to speed on everything. Um, But this will be the last episode for like about two weeks. So be patient, young ones. We will return. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have you got any Christmas send via thoughts you'd like to deliver to people, Kirsty? uh well just hope everyone has a good holiday Mm -hmm. enjoy a break if you can and go and see rogue one lots of times (laughs) (laughs) and let us know what you think of it as well yeah no definitely please do we'd love to um hear people's thoughts so feel free to get in touch with us at scavengershorde at gmail.com or you can contact me on tumblr at star wars nonsense or on wordpress at journal of the star wars kirsty I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. So, yeah, I would love to know what people think of this film. Yeah, no, we're very excited to talk about it. And I'm very excited to see it again. I think when we come back, actually, we should probably have a whole other discussion because we'll both have seen it a bunch more times. Oh, yeah, I'm sure loads of other things will have occurred to us because it was, I thought The Force Awakens was fast paced. I think this was even more so. Yes, definitely. Maybe not right at the beginning. It took a while to get going. Mm. Um, but I'm sure there's so much that we missed. Yeah, no, 100%. I'm really looking forward to going back to it. And then yeah, and I, I just want to see the Vader bit again as well. Yes! Oh my so god. Good. It was so, so good. I want to take my dad to see it purely to see his reaction to that scene. So I think he'll go ape. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, <laughs> but right, bye everyone. Merry Christmas. Bye. <laughs>